many years, and uh, we go again. I never do a repeat one, <laughs> although it probably sounds like it. I always try to come up with something different for the Christmas story. It doesn't happen. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here, isn't there? There's a lot going there, and we continue to learn about the Incarnation. The virgin birth of all things, a virgin birth, the kenosis. In case you're wondering what the kenosis is, that's kind of the heart of our study today, and we'll get into that. Definitely dealing with the humiliation and the humbling of Christ, but we'll also see that in another character here today. We are going to be dealing with Joseph in the first part. See, my voice is already going. And then the second part will be dealing especially with the big focus of it always is Christ Himself. So what we're going to do is uh, take our Bibles. Let's stand. And we'll read Matthew 1. Starting at verse 18. Verse 17 verses are introducing us to the genealogy of Joseph. Not Mary here, but Joseph. And then I'll tell the story. But in uh, verse 16, we'll back up just for a moment. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. Mary. Who was called the Messiah. So there are your generations all the way there from Abraham all the way up to Messiah, and there you see Joseph. And Mary mentioned, but this is Joseph's line. So guess what this story is going to be about for a few verses? Not a lot, but some. It's about Joseph. And it's not about Mary's genealogy here, so therefore it doesn't go into the angel visiting her. But it will be the, the angel visiting who? Joseph. Because this is where it starts. At least in this story here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, great, awesome God, who you are. You are wonderful in all your ways. The counselor, the mighty God. You are God with us. You sent your son Jesus to save us from our sins. The simple message of the gospel. It's really not so simple. It can only come from the very wisdom of the triune God. We are in amazement. There is no other story like this, Lord. It is true. And You are faithful in all Your ways. And You sent Your Son. So we, standing here today, who believe in His Son, and Your Son, we have had our sins forgiven. What a precious package that Christ was as He was given. It was given as a baby here on earth, grew up into a man, 
But yet He was 100% God all the way. He came to die for us. Is the reason why He came. We praise You for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this story we know so well. What I'm going to challenge you today is put yourself into the shoes of Joseph for a few moments. Forget all that familiarity that you know for a moment. And look at this story and try to think the way that Joseph would be thinking and feeling. Mary and Joseph are often seen as an idyllic couple that brought forth a remarkable baby into this world. It was not as smooth as most people would take it. Take that nice little Christmas story that we all know of, and sometimes you see the um, the manger scenes and such on the Christmas cards and in front of homes and different places, and that is a good thought because it takes us back to what this is all about. But I'll tell you what, it was not smooth at all. It was rough sailing for a guy by the name of Joseph, also Mary. They were perfectly suited to do what they did because this was God's plan. It was His will that it came about in this way. Uh, Even though they were perfectly suited to do this, we often overlook how this was announced, how this news of Messiah coming to a woman, a young woman, and a virgin, and she was going to carry the Son of God in her womb, two innocent teens all the way throughout. Imagine what went through Mary's thinking and her thoughts as she heard the news that came from the angel, imagine the news that Joseph heard from Mary about her being pregnant with the Son of God. When you think about that, I think that your whole life would be flashing before your eyes. He is just blown away. He doesn't believe it. And nobody would. This is not normal. It's not natural. Never happened before. Will not happen again. That was a one-time thing. That's how special this is. At this time of the year when we look into God's Word about it, it's a major issue for Joseph. This is not a simple story for him. This whole idea is, you know, in the womb of a virgin. That's what she tells me. How can I believe that? He struggled with it. I'll tell you what, this courtship that they had was fascinating. It's very unique. Everybody has a unique courtship. All of you who have been married, you remember when you were dating or having courtship with your spouse-to-be? Special, wasn't it? And they had already been engaged or betrothed officially is the term for that, they were looking forward to that wedding to consummate it. The whole thing that goes with marriage and living together for the rest of their lives. We don't know how they responded to this as far as the people around them. How about the parents of Joseph? Did they know about it? Did he tell them? What did they say? What did Mary's parents know? We don't have anything about it in here at all. I've never seen it, have you? I have no idea. I really don't. Nobody does. What did they say? You can imagine what they would have said. There would definitely have been questions. But there are grandparents maybe involved? Maybe siblings of... Joseph, if he had any, we don't know about his family, do we? We know nothing about Joseph's family. I think we know something, that he was raised up right. I think he knew God's Word. He trusted God, no doubt. Mary, same way. Great family she came from. She was well instructed. She knew the Bible. She wrote the Magnificat. She borrowed Scripture out of the Old Testament, one after another, verse after verse. 
So, what do we do with this? Well, see, they are betrothed, and I'll get into that just for a, a, just a few moments. We've talked about it several times down through the years. You, you'd know about it, but if just in case we need to be reminded, betrothal is like what, a modern-day engagement, but it's much more. Now, in a modern-day engagement, you have, let's say, a young man or an old man or a middle-aged man, whoever, they come up to a woman that they love and they've been seeing, they've, they really love them, and they make a proposal. The pr- proposal says, will you marry me? And, of course, that uh, the woman always says yes, of course. And uh, so whenever that happens, they make an agreement. They take this agreement to the synagogue where there's a rabbi. They make this official. It's more or less doing vows. Like that's what the uh, marriage is about today. You have the vows, right? And they're making promises, oaths. And so they would do that. It would be recorded and and then put into the uh, temple or, or the synagogue, we'll say. And there it would be until they would consummate the marriage, whenever they would have the wedding ceremony. Which they, by the way, don't know when that's going to be. Nobody knows. Only the Father knows. And, of course, a lot of times we know that what would would be happening is that the young man can't wait to get married. So he's going to build on a house to his father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. That's the idea of mansions. The father's house, many rooms. You know, even Jesus didn't know when he was going to come back when he was here on earth. But the father did. I think Jesus knows when he's going to come back now. But at that time, and that was relating to uh, a betrothal. You don't know what it's going to be, but whenever the father says, okay, you're ready, the house is ready, go get her. She didn't know. And so they didn't sit out invitations months ahead of time telling you when that was going to be because she didn't even know. He didn't know. Well, the thing is, is they were considered already during that betrothal period husband and wife. And when a betrothal is broken, it is scandalous. Now, if in our day, when an engagement is broken, and it happens, it's not scandalous at all. And people are very forgiving. They're saying, well, it's probably good that they didn't because I don't think they were really made for each other or something like that. You know, or yeah, he found out about her or she found out about him and it just wasn't going to work. It's good, you know, you know, everybody's in agreement there, you know, usually. But if a betrothal is broken, that is scandalous because they are already husband and wife. They have said their vows. They just haven't been living together. Most of the time they were teens and young teens when that would happen. So the father would say, you're not ready yet. You know, no way. And that that house that you have there, that's just a little shanty you put up. You know, there a week later, you know, he says, "No, it's not ready." No. <laughs> so uh, this would what what it would amount to um, if the woman who is betrothed, if she breaks it by unfaithfulness the husband would actually have a choice to make, to make a public declaration before witnesses and a shamer. Or to just be real quiet about it, divorce her, nobody knows, and move on. And we know that's the choice that Joseph made. It was very gracious, very merciful, very loving that Joseph was going to do that. We see the the Christmas story really doesn't revolve around Joseph. You ever notice that? And we know ultimately it really revolves around Christ, obviously. But next to Him, as far as importance, who is kind of like a star of this show also? Mary is. You see, Mary is given much more ink here in this thought. You think of the Christmas songs that we uh, sing uh, in the past couple of weeks. 
We'd say, Mary, did you know? What about Joseph, did you know? It's No, no, it's, it's Mary. There's another one that we didn't sing it this morning, but you know, you think of uh, another song like that, and you think of uh, what child is this? You know, mother, you know, there's Mary and the child in her lap and such, right? You think of Mary in that song, and there are other songs. There are songs where Joseph is mentioned, but like I say, it's very little. And you see, he's not even really the father. He's a parent, quote, but the Father is the Father in heaven, isn't he? So, you know, you, you, we seem to think too much about uh, Mary, but we've got to give a little credit to Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, we read earlier, didn't we? In verse 16, it showed that he is, his father was who? Jacob. And his wife was Mary. And she was the mother of Jesus. And he is not mentioned as the father here, although he does a lot of things like a father would do, and well he should. But you know, as far as the conception is concerned, Joseph is out of the picture. He had nothing to do with the conceiving of the Son of God in the womb in Mary. She was a Parthenos all the way through. She's a virgin, as the text is saying here in our passage. And when you think of uh, like in Luke, and then also we, we have the Old Testament uh, reading in Isaiah where it says virgin. Um, she is going to give a virgin birth. Uh, remarkable. She alone bore the Christ child. Now, somewhere along the line, she had a visit from an angel. The angel came to her out of nowhere. Joseph is not around at this time. The angel comes and tells Mary that she's going to bear the Christ child. She is the chosen one. She has to be shocked. And the question she has for this is, how does this happen? How does a virgin birth happen? Well, it's going to be by the Holy Spirit. You see, it can't be husband and wife because then you would have sin entering. So God, the Holy Spirit, conceives in the womb this Son of God. So Mary now knows what's going on, and Joseph does not. And I wonder how long did this go? Well, she tells him before he ever gets a visit from an angel. My question is this. Lord, why didn't you go ahead and send an angel to where whenever they both were together... And they both can witness us at the same time and be told that. Have you ever wondered that? Why that wouldn't that make it so much smoother? <laughs> yeah. Not other people, it's gonna be a little rough, you know. But to them at least, to him, he's gonna be absolutely convinced. That's going to do it. But until that time, how long was it? Do you guys know? Can you help me? We have one answer over here, like four months later. Now, a lot of you might be thinking it was probably maybe a few days later. Could be, but we'll look at that in a moment. What, you know, Joseph, for a time, he actually gets the news from Mary, not from an angel. First, that's where it comes from. That's a problem. A huge problem. Well, not to God. See, this is where a sovereign God comes in. He does so many things that we wonder, what in the world is He doing? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do it. I was innocent. Why does this happen? I had my whole life planned out before me. 
I'm going, I'm a carpenter. I have my wife who's going to be living with me the rest of my life. And everything's going to be happy forever on. That's what you think when you're in your teens. Right? Everything's going to be good. You don't think about all those things that come up. And I'm glad it's that way. But why not God at the same time? Don't you think that would be a better idea? No. This is my will. He makes it tough. It's seemingly tough on people. But then you look back at it and you go, so that's what He was doing. Wow, God is really great. But in the meantime, we go, I don't get it. I keep praying. Nothing happens. Where's the answer? You know, she leaves right away. For three months, she goes to stay with her cousin, Elizabeth, who's much older. Something like 90 miles away. Pretty long trek. And my question is, is, did she go by herself? Well, I think so. I'm not sure. It doesn't say, does it? Does it say that she went by herself? I tend to think she did. We're not told anybody's with her when she goes to Elizabeth's house. That's a long trip, folks. A long trip. It's dangerous traveling on the roads at that time. If you could get 15 miles, 20 miles in a day, that'd be a long way, wouldn't it? How about six days of traveling, maybe? Just throw it out there. By herself? How old is she? Some people say as young as 12 and a half. 13. Justice, how old are you? 12. Wow. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Joseph is that age. He's probably a little bit older. They usually are. Don't have to be, but probably. They were betrothed. Who knows how long it was going to be before they had come together and consummated the marriage. But it was probably going to be a little bit longer of a wait than what happens here. But at least God is with them, isn't He? I'm sure that if that be the case, if Joseph doesn't know, and he and the angel doesn't come until much later, think about it. Mary shows up after three months and he goes, What happened? What happened down there at your cousin's place? What went on? And you know what? Joseph did not have the luxury of Matthew chapter 1. It wasn't written until after Christ had died 33 years later and a few decades after that, a couple of decades, right? Or whenever Matthew writes the story of this. He didn't read a book and saying, okay, here's what's going to happen to Joseph. And he says, oh, okay, I get it. He is heart broken. Whatever this time was, however it was, now to dismiss everything familiar with you for a moment, imagine Joseph who had never touched this very close friend, wife, hadn't touched her intimately, and he's told by Mary that she was pregnant. Okay. Who's the father? Right? Mary says, God made me pregnant. I'm sure that he's going to... Yeah, right. We've all heard this story before. And nobody is going to back her up. There wasn't any witnesses around at all where she could say, okay, you listen, my sister was with me. And my other sister was there and I had a friend and they were nobody saw or experienced this but Mary. Nobody else knows, not even Joseph, and now he hears the news. He thinks a lot of Mary, and now his thoughts on Mary are like, uh, you know, I didn't know she was like this. She is not who I thought she was. 
She is from a very reputable family. She knows God's Word. He does too. He's shattered. Whenever he hears this, whenever it was, his life becomes shambles. Because he had it all figured out. He was looking forward to their wedding day. You see, they're a husband and wife. That's serious. They are married in that sense. They just need to do the ceremony and get it officialized and then live together. God spoke to her, and you know what? She said it so confidently. Not like, you know, she's him hawing around about it, you know, like that. She is confident. And it's like, I just, how can I believe this story? I'd like to believe it, but I really can't. Not in my mind at all. So what does he start thinking? Divorce. Immediately. How am I going to do it? If I announce her publicly, everybody will know and she'll be shamed. And at one time, before the Roman government, they would actually be uh, to, to be stoned. To be killed, Mary would have. Joseph still yet says, I'll divorce her quietly, discreetly. Nobody will know. Let's get it done. And then, what we read in Matthew 1, Joseph finally, whenever it is, gets an announcement from the angel. It's like, why didn't you come before? He gets the answer. He did as the angel commanded. You know, I love that. Gets the news from the angel. She'll bear a son. Call his name Emmanuel. Save sins and that kind of save you from your sins. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Like that. You know what? This betrothal is cut short. Soon as he gets it, I'm convinced that right away they get married. After he was supposing there was adultery. So all he needed was an angel's visit. Don't you wish sometimes we had an angel's visit to convince us of certain things? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm impressed with Joseph in the way that he handled it. What else could he do? And he was going to be very humble and very merciful to Mary. He could have really taken it out on her. So, now the rumors are going to be flying. She starts showing. What were people saying? They're still right there in Nazareth. Small town. Everybody hears about this. This doesn't happen back at that time. In our times, unfortunately, unbiblically, people get married and live together before they you know actually uh, start acting like husband and wife they you know they and that's the way they do so often right they're married and they they're there people see them it's okay but the thing is guess what happened it seems to people that yeah we know why they got married even back then i'm sure that happened and can you imagine Jesus all of his life, especially in Nazareth? Word got around. It carried on for years. Jesus heard all sorts of remarks about being an illegitimate child. And you remember the Pharisees? We know who our Father is. That's a cut to Jesus. Jesus has been saying, I'm of God, I'm from heaven. They called it blasphemy. Yeah, all right. We know who our father is. You don't know who your father is. Wasn't Joseph? Anyway, I think Joseph was remarkable. He goes against this whole thing about the wagging tongue that happens. It's an embarrassment, not to him because he knows the truth. We wonder now about what his parents are saying. Can they believe him? What are her parents saying? Can they believe her? How about the grandparents? How about the neighbors? 
How about all of Nazareth? And they do what is right. Have you ever had a tough decision and you know what the right thing to do in that decision was going to do? And did you know that it was going to make a sacrifice? It was going to take a personal sacrifice of you to do it. Joseph had to do what was right. Of course, he was convinced he did have the angel. But even all along through there, he was quite a model, wasn't he? How about obedience? Joseph obeyed. It is totally flip-flop from the way that he thought they were going to have this wedding and right on through. You know, they get they get married and then they have kids and they've already been married and now they have, you know, a kid. And it's like they're going to have to wind up leaving their hometown. But he's obedient all the way. The angel says it, gets married. Later on they leave. You can do what is exactly right and you know to be right. But others don't agree with you. Others don't believe you. Make fun of you or try to destroy you. But you stand up firm for what you know to be is right. A lot would have said, okay, angel, I know that, but this is looking embarrassing to me. I'm not going to do it. You know what he did? Sooner or later, they, they packed it up. Joseph takes a back seat, really, in this story. Mary is in the spotlight. Joseph's role is less significant. He's a servant. He's going to take Mary on a long trek to Bethlehem. Like a week's worth of travel. This is hard. At a time that's not easy. That's his county seat. He's got to report in. That's where the taxes are for him. His people. He took his life and trained his wife's son trained him. He obeyed God's will. This is not about Joseph. It's not about you. You see, this whole story is not about anybody but Christ. And that's where we're leading to now. If, you know, it's what God wants to do with here. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. And when He does it, He doesn't do it the way that you expect it and want it to be. You see, Joseph probably would have liked to do it another way. Don't you think he would have? This is so embarrassing. I know it's right. But everybody in town thinks we did something wrong. It would have gone a lot smoother for Joseph just to say, Mary, sorry. And to pick out another young lady. It just doesn't seem to be the way things ought to to be. God's people shouldn't be having that kind of controversy. Jesus, I mean, Joseph gave himself up. He emptied his life to do what God is telling him to do. He took on the role of a servant. Granted, It was quite a role, wasn't it? To teach his wife's son about life. About carpentry. He poured his life into him. He taught him biblical things. Jesus learned that from Joseph. You don't get any credit from Joseph. After this, do you say anything about Joseph? Mary, you do. You see her in the gospel story, of course, the turning the water into wine. You see where she's with the family and she's trying to coax Jesus from, you know, people are thinking that he's gone mad for him to come home. Uh, we see her at the cross. We know a lot about Mary in that extension. Joseph, after Jesus was 12 years old, going to Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary were there with him. They were doing 
the thing that they would do at Jesus' age, uh, bar mitzvah. Well, what happened to Joseph? We don't know. He's off the pages. But he emptied himself. What an example he was of emptying self. That is the key to your life. My life. Our key is to empty it. You know what? If we would do that, if we would learn this lesson before we die, we will have gotten it. It's not about me. It's all about Christ. I'll just stand here, sit here. I will wait and whatever He wants to do through me, He's going to do. Because He has planned this out long before the ages, before eternity. Me. Just use me. I'm just a clay pot. If you get that, you've got it. That's not an easy lesson to learn. Joseph, as a teenager, got it. Wow. You know what? The best example and the epitome of this humbleness is the baby himself. Christ our King, the Lord. And with that is the doctrine of kenosis. Jesus chose to live the life as a servant. Doing the will of the Father, He came to do the Father's will. Nothing else. To do the Father's will. Jesus was a servant. He was a bond slave of His Father while He was here in a human body serving His Father. Joseph was an example to us humans in being a servant and emptying self. Say, Lord, you come in me and take over. You know, that is what it is about. So let's go to part two, the kenosis. And we're going to turn to Philippians 2. And we're going to see how we can tie this in to Joseph. We see the humanness of Joseph and that's all we see. He's human. He's not deity. Now we're going to see Jesus, our Lord, as 100% human. 100% God. This is incarnation. Through the virgin birth, and this is kenosis, to empty Himself into a human body to take His glory and hold it back. If you turn to Philippians 2, this is what we are to follow. Because Christ is the perfect example, we are to follow Him. It says in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude. Have Christ's attitude. Do we have that this morning? Are we thinking like Christ thinks? Do we have His attitude? Well, look, here's what it is. Who, although He existed in the form of God, we don't, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. There's your kenosis taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Hey, kids, adults, get this. Kenosis. It's a theological term you'll usually hear in seminaries, but we, as Christians, need to know the kenosis. Tell your parents today, or tell your children, hey, what is the kenosis? It's the emptying 
of self. And we're going to get into that in a moment. We'll get it more clarified where you will get a better idea. But it's the emptying of Christ. Not His deity. Not His Godhead. Not Godhood. It says in verse 8, "...being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient while He was a man to the point of death, even death on a cross." And then we see the exaltation starting at 9. We're going to stop there at verse 8. This is what Jesus did. He emptied Himself. Did you know that this Christmas story started long before Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary? It started before Genesis. It started before the beginning or the creation. We celebrate this every year. This is what it's about. God coming to earth. The story actually happened before, was started before the beginning in the council of divine decrees. Get that in your vocabulary. The divine council of the decrees of God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit... It's like they got together, this is the way we can explain it, and came up with this plan of, of creation, the, the new creation, uh, the uh, people being born again, the whole gospel story. Everything is planned out. Joseph and Mary, that was all before there was ever time. It's the most splendid plan that man can ever even understand. And we'll gain a deeper appreciation of this plan as we just journey back for a moment before the beginning. And in Hebrews 1, it talks about the time dealing with creation and such. Hebrews 1, 1, first three verses... God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers, He finally speaks to the Old Testament people and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, told them what this plan was all about, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, Christ was revealed as He was told throughout the Old Testament. As the plan had already come before all this, whom He appointed heir of all things. Christ heir. Through whom also He made the world. What does that make Christ? The Creator. Who alone can do that? God. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. He's the very icon. He is the very being of God. The representation of His nature. He's got God's nature. That means He's God. And upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so therefore, He's more higher than all the angels than all the prophets, than Moses, than the law. He is the chief one. He is God. That's a deity passage there. God recognizes His Son as God. You go to John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's always been here. He is the self-existent one. He doesn't need anyone to keep Him existing that is the triune God. Jesus, the Son, the second person is called the Word. The Word. What does that mean? It means logos in Greek and it means divine reasoning. He's the very reasoning. He came here to show the reason why. What it's about. It's, it's like John is saying, in Jesus, we not only have the cause and the creation of design here, but we have the very reason behind it all. Christ. You know what? Remember last week? I've got to turn this, don't I? 
There we go. Part B there under Kenosis. Mystery of the Lion and the Lamb. He came here, took on a human body, and He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have to have that Lamb. So when He came, took on a body, it was like He was a Lamb. And at the same time, He's a shepherd. But He's a Lamb in that He has to give Himself. He is a spotless Lamb without a blemish, which all sacrifices had to be. So He came as a Lamb to die for us. When He comes back, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He is a what? A lion. A lion. Lamb. A lion will judge. He will eat up all of the sinful things that are part of this world, this universe. So what do we have here? The lion and the lamb. We have the mystery of the lion and the lamb. We went and described all of that last week, didn't we? So, we see the lamb when he first came now, he emptied himself to do that because he's the lion. What does it mean? Kenosis, what is it? Well, it's the, probably the most important part of his incarnation. Incarnation means to come in the flesh. Incarnation. To come in the flesh. Kenosis. Means he... He did not give up His deity when He came here. By the way, He emptied Himself into the body that is flesh. Everything is still there. He is fully God. He is deity. In the New Testament, He's still stilling storms. He's still raising the dead. He's still healing the sick. He's also casting out demons from people. But it's always in the Father's will. He's always praying. He never does anything independently of the Father. That's the idea there. What does it mean? Listen carefully. He willingly set aside the independent, voluntary use of His divine attributes and personal prerogatives while earthbound. He laid them aside in His independent use. Sure, He did use those attributes and all the miracles and stuff, but it was only in the timing of the Father. Let me read that again. You have it on your notes there. He willingly set aside the independent and He voluntarily used His divine attributes and personal prerogatives while earthbound. Here's another saying about this. Christ emptying of Himself is a laying aside of the privileges that were His in heaven. Rather than stay on His throne in heaven like the lion, Jesus made Himself nothing like the lamb. Another person wrote, the kenosis was a self-renunciation not an emptying himself of deity. Don't ever say he emptied his deity. That would mean he's 100% man, but not 100% God. He's 100% man. 100% God. The early church had to define that. That's the reason they would have councils in the early church to show the deity of Christ and His humanity. Some denied His humanity. Others denied His deity. We still have those today. They're called cults. They're the cults that come and knock on your door, hand you pamphlets. They will deny the deity of Christ or His humanity. It's important to know, isn't it? These are key things. The Christmas story tells us about that. Another one said He chose not to independently exercise His relative attributes. This includes His ability to be all-knowing, to be all-powerful, right? He independently did not exercise what He did. And whenever He did the miracles, 
It was always the Father's will. He was not independent of Him whenever He did any action. Here's another one. I like this one. He voluntarily refrained from using His divinity to make His way easier. And we're going to show that in a moment of what it means to empty Himself. I like that last one. He voluntarily, he refrained. He limited himself in using the divine attributes, those relative attributes, to make his way easier. It would have been a lot easier for God to come here, to come living in a throne room where the king lives in a palace and to live life unscathed and not have to go through all the pain and suffering that we go through. But no, He chose to do and be like what a human is and does. So, do you see that there are three ways He emptied Himself? Now, we're going to go through all this, this last slide, actually pretty quick. Because a lot of them agree with each other. Number one, he experienced the limitations of a human being. He, humans are limited, aren't they? They're limited. Jesus was still God while He was on earth. Absolutely in every way. However, He took upon Himself an additional nature. You see, man, God. He takes the form of a man. And now we have the two natures of Christ. One person has two natures. God, man. Lion, lamb. Two natures. He voluntarily limited himself by being a human being. He took on certain restrictions. That means he had to eat. Never had to do that before. Nothing wrong with that, though, is there? He had to rest. You see, we get tired. Jesus got tired while he was here. When he was God, did he ever know what it felt like to rest, to sleep? God doesn't sleep. He could feel pain. As a little kid, he learned that very early to bleed. He saw what it was to bleed, to feel that. He felt death. He even went to the point of death. That's the whole point of Him being here, isn't it? For our sins. It's the only way that God would accept. He needed that sacrifice of death to die violently. When He is here on earth, He was all-knowing. He was all, like you could say, omniscient. He knew everything. But yet, we know that there was a time whenever He said, I don't know the time of the second coming. Only the Father in heaven knows that. So He is like that. He was all, all powerful, all omnipotent, omniscient. But yet He prayed to God to raise Lazarus. He prayed to God about the, everything that He did. He always prayed to the Father. But he could only be at one place at one time. These attributes, they were always with him. But yet he simply chose not to use them apart from the will of the Father. That's the idea. He didn't use them apart from the will of the Father. If it was the will of the Father, then he would do that. You see, it is deity is all there. Number two, so number one, he experienced the limitations of what we experience. Do we identify with Him in that? He willingly hum humbled Himself. He self-humbled It wasn't against His will. He took on those limitations. Number three, His glory was veiled while He was here on earth. And I think this is what I get most from this. While He was here on earth in a human body, actually His glory was not seen. He was the Lamb he was not the lion. People didn't recognize the lamb. They wanted the lion. Remember that? He's the lamb. He's veiled. Did you know that 
the the lady who's getting married. Remember, we always had the picture of that of a veil on them. And it was like at that t- at that wedding ceremony, it was like they couldn't see her. Nobody could recognize her until the veil was taken off. And that's the way it is with the bride of Christ. We're not really recognized as the sons of God. We're as recognized as deplorable. (laughs) And lately, there has been a a terrible bad word that you only hear in the movies. I won't even say the letter. Some of the leaders already in, in the Democratic Party are using those names for people who voted for Righteousness, or President Trump. They're calling us that. Well, you know what? They don't see the glory of Christ. That's why they killed Him. They don't see the glory of salvation. They don't recognize that. That's what we have to tell the good news, isn't it? At the end of His life, did you, you know what He prayed in John 17? Father, restore unto me the glory that I had in heaven. What did He set aside while He was here on earth? His beautiful, amazing glory. That's what He gave up even the most. When He was exalted at the right hand of the Father, still 100% man, 100% God. And that's why you see Him as the Lamb and the Lion in Revelation 5, 5 and 6. Isn't that wonderful how that now ties in with this? I didn't make it up. God did. So you can see we talk about Joseph who we identify with and then Jesus who we identify with too. Okay. We quickly got to wrap this up. He became like us. And you see all the notations there. We won't spend hardly any time on them. He came like us, and we've already kind of talked about it. He, he had a liability to human infirmities. He became hungry. Was he ever sick? Most human beings are. Uh, maybe he was very healthy all the way through his life. Whatever it was, he was like humans. Experienced pain. Remember the woman at the well? And he told her, give me a drink. He, became, he was thirsty. He had to eat and drink just like we did. And to be hungry. He, can't, he was tempted even for physical needs. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was hungry. Number two, he became like us in the limitation of his knowledge. You see, Jesus had to develop His knowledge as He grew in stature and wisdom and understanding. You see, He didn't come here and automatically just know everything, even though He is omniscient. But He laid that aside to be taught by humans, by Joseph and by Mary, and to be taught the Bible, which He is. He is the Word, and yet He was taught the Word of God. That's really limiting himself, isn't it? He grew. Number three, Jesus became like us in the dependence on others. God gave him his son to human parents that are really young. How would you trust the heavenly God is now son with humans? And as he grew up, he learned to depend on his parents. His mother and earthly, quote, father provided for all his physical needs. He makes the food. You know, he makes the fruit and the meat and everything that crops. He made that. And yet he's relying on them to feed him. He was relying on them to teach him. Joseph taught him the ways of God. Joseph, a man, is teaching God. I'm sure Joseph had to go, I don't get this. 
they trained him up. Jesus depended on the disciples for assistance. For the ladies who were with him and had the treasure, he depended upon that. He didn't even have a home in his ministry years. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has none. Nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus became like us in his loneliness. He was abandoned by the disciples, the Garden of Gethsemane. They weren't praying with him. They go to sleep. Then they abandoned him when he was arrested. And on the cross, he was abandoned by his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father left him alone for that time as he took on the sin of the world. Number five, Jesus became like us in his liability to temptation. Satan came to him. He tempted him all the kingdoms of the world. He tempted him in food and just everything. You know, he could have it now. We're tempted too, aren't we? We know what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be deep. He felt all this. He knows what it's like to be hungry and all that, right? He became like us. Why in the world would He ever do that? Would you like to be in glory and have everything perfect and come to an earth that's infested with sin and hates everything that deals with righteousness? It's not natural to know the things of God and He came to this earth. Six, He became like us in being obedient to the Father. You see, He learned obedience. We talked about that. And in Hebrews 5-8, through 8, He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Verse 9, And having been perfected, when He finally came to that full point, He became the author of eternal salvation to all obey Him. It was Him in its fullest there. He learned what it was like to bend His will to the Father's will. He knew that. But He learned it. E. This is it. Philippians says, He came in the form of a bondservant. Being made like men took on the appearance, was man in every way. But he humbled himself. This is the kenosis. This is the emptying. Everything. All of his attributes, his glory were put into this body so that our sins can be paid for. And all he says for us is to humble ourselves, to come to him, Open up our hands and take from Him His grace. He grants that to us. He grants His mercy, His love, all of His attributes, except for His omniscience and omnipotence and those kind of things, the very things that are deity. Those attributes that are God are given to us and are poured into us when we trust Christ. Jesus chose to submit to the will of God in every word, in every deed. We started with Joseph. He did it. We see Jesus in the fullest way, the absolute perfection. This is the epitome of humility. This is the emptying, the kenosis. And He had an independent desire on his part to do the very part that God has for him. The Father gave him his will. He did it. He laid aside everything for the Father's glory and will to be done. When we see what he does, we see his glory, don't we? One day we'll see it in its fullest. But that's what he did. He emptied his glory, and that's what he prayed for. He said, Father, Give me back the glory that I had. He had done His job. It is finished. 
never again to have to come here to die, but to always be a man from there on out and always be God. How can that be? We've just seen it. The Christmas story, folks, it's loaded. Let's pray. Father, great God in heaven, may we do Your will on earth as You desire for us to do as You live in heaven. Grant us the things to do by Your power. Help us to be more loving, to be merciful. Help us to be gracious. Help us to show the person of Christ who lives in us. Help it to be seen to people who need You, who are desperate need, as they're dead in their sins and trespasses, on their way to hell. And may Your good news that was planned upon before the foundation of the world be given to sinners. Because Jesus means to save. To save them from their sins. Emmanuel, God is with us. We pray this in the Son's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys ready to close out with a song? Let's stand. Let's sing. Joyous song that I can think of is the angels praising God that night that they announced that Jesus was going to be born. The Savior. Merry Christmas.